Good morning. Hopefully you are studying each day this week leading to Easter. You're going to study many of the doctrinal truths that involve this very pivotal week in the history of humankind. These would include the many witnesses that testify of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the blessings we receive from the atonement of Christ and his victory over death and resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one sure foundation for our hope. And that includes hope to overcome mistakes, hope to see loved ones again, hope to be together as a family forever, hope to overcome weaknesses, hope to overcome trials, hope in times of illness, hope to be made whole from all that life has wounded us with. So we're going to start by talking about the last week of the Savior's life. In the um, calendar of the time, the dates were named Nisan 9, and that's where we start is Nisan 9, which is, a, is Saturday. And Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. Jesus comes to Bethany, which is the home of Lazarus. Mary anoints the head and feet of Jesus with costly oil. And then Sunday, Nisan 10, is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, the Father's voice is heard, and the Lamb is selected for the Passover. Monday, Nisan 11, he cleanses the temple, heals and teaches in the temple, curses the fig tree. Tuesday, which is Nisan 12, he teaches in the temple, rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees, and closes out his public ministry. Wednesday, which is Nisan 13, and, and keep in mind the Jewish day begins at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m., so Passover would begin at 6 p.m. on this day. So the Last Supper, um, where the sacrament was instituted, the ordinance of the washing of feet was was done, and then a they sung a hymn, which I find very interesting. Then they went to Gethsemane, um, where the Savior experienced his greatest suffering, and an angel appears to strengthen him. He was arrested, illegally tried before Ananias and, and Caiaphas, Peter denies him. Now, it's important. Peter denies knowing him, but he never denies that he's the Messiah or what he knows and has seen of, of him. So Thursday, Nisan 14, begins on Wednesday at sunset, 6 p.m. And Passover ends at 6 a.m. He's tried by Pilate and Herod. He's tried by Pilate and scourged and crucified. And he hung on the cross for six hours, and he makes seven statements. So that brings us to Friday, Nisan 15, which is a high holy day. So it's a special holiday Sabbath. Um, if you look in John 19.31 and the footnotes there, as well as Exodus 12.16, um, it says, the Jews, therefore, 
because it was on preparation that the body should re- not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And the footnote for high, on the high day, um, Jesus arose on the first day of the week. The previous day was the weekly Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, being also the day after Passover meal, which could be the high day. Okay, so Saturday then, Nisan 16, is the regular Jewish Sabbath. And Sunday, which is Easter, is Nisan 17, and that's the resurrection of Christ and many others. And then there's five appearances of Christ to followers, Mary Magdalene, Mary, his mother, Mary, the mother of um, Cleopas and others. So Mary Magdalene, those women, and then Peter, and then two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and ten apostles in the upper room. So that kind of gives you an overview of his last week. Um, I want to turn a little bit to talk about the atonement itself, and, and the, I'm going to use a talk by Elder Bednar. He says, um, he starts out by quoting Elder um, Neil A. Maxwell. He said, he taught a principle that has impressed me deeply and been the focus of much for my study, reflecting, and pottering. He said, there could have been no atonement without the character of Christ. I've tried to learn about and better understand the word character. I've also pondered the relationship between Christ's character and his atonement and the implications of that relationship for each of us as disciples. Perhaps the greatest indicator of character is the capacity to recognize and appropriately respond to other people who are experiencing the very challenge or adversity that is most immediately and forcefully pressing upon us. Character is revealed, for example, in the power to discern the suffering of other people when we ourselves are suffering, in the ability to to detect the hunger of others when we are hungry, in the power to reach out and extend compassion for the spiritual agony of others, when we are in the midst of our own spiritual distress. Thus, character is demonstrated by looking and reaching outward when the natural and instinctive response is to be self-absorbed and turn inward. If such a capacity is indeed the ultimate criterion of moral character, then the Savior of the world is the perfect example of such a consistent and charitable character. And with that as the character of Christ, the reaching outward when instinctive responses is to turn inward, let's look at the atonement through the lens, that lens, and see what we find. So some examples of Christ's character. In the upper room on the night of the Last Supper, the very night during which he would experience the greatest suffering that ever took place in all the worlds created by him, Christ spoke about the comforter and peace. Quote, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, never let, neither let it be afraid. Recognizing that he himself was about to intensely and personally experience the absence of both comfort and peace, and in a moment when his heart was perhaps troubled and afraid, the master reached outward and offered to others the very blessings that could and would have strengthened him. In the great intercessory prayer, offered immediately before Jesus went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Master prayed for his disciples and for all which believe on me through their word. Consider the scene as Jesus emerged from his awful suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, having just sweat great drops of blood from every pore as part of the infinite and eternal atonement, the Redeemer encountered a multitude, and while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew unto Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they, when they which were about saw him would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Given the magnitude and intensity of Jesus' agony, it perhaps would have been understandable if he had not noticed and attended to the guard's severed ear. But the Savior's character activated a compassion that was perfect. Note his response to the guard as described in verse 51. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. I find myself repeatedly asking the following questions as I ponder this and other events which took place so close to his betrayal and his suffering in the garden. How could he pray for the well-being and unity of others immediately before his own anguish? What enabled him to seek comfort and peace for those who need so much less than his? As the fallen nature of the world he created pressed in upon him, how could he focus so totally and so exclusively upon conditions and concerns of others. How was the master able to reach outward when a lesser being would have turned inward? We cannot obtain such capacity through sheer willpower or personal determination. Rather, we're dependent upon and in need of the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. But line upon line, precept upon precept, and in the process of time, we are unable to reach outward when the natural tendency is for us to turn inward. Let me suggest that you and I must be praying, yearning, striving, and working to cultivate a Christ-like character if we hope to receive the spiritual gift of charity. The pure love of Christ. Charity is not a trait or characteristic we acquire exclusively through our own persistence and determination. Indeed, we must honor our covenants and live worthily and do all that we can to qualify for the gift. But ultimately, the gift of charity possesses us. We do not possess it. And then he says, I conclude now by returning to where I began the statement by Elder Maxwell in that special training session 
in September, there would have been no atonement except for the character of Christ. So let's think about that. Where does that leave each of us? What do we do? What do we think when someone hurts our feelings? What do we do when a family member irritates us? What do we do when plans don't work out or change, leaving you frustrated? The tone of your voice, the words that you use, the way you treat others matters. Stop and think. There's three gates. Think about these three gates that words need to pass through before leaving your mouth. If any gate stops those words, then don't say it. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? We could keep listing, but in our individual lives, we can all think of situations where the natural man takes over and anger arises. Why is it important to develop the character of Christ? Do you see how your life and the lives of those you care about improves when you learn the outward look, when the natural tendency is to face inward? Those are things to think about. Okay, our challenge questions. High school challenge question. What were the five appearances of Christ to the followers? And then the school-age question for the middle school, name four of the seven statements Jesus made on the cross. For the elementary school, name one thing Jesus said on the cross. And there's going to be a hint sent in the email. And the preschool question, why do we celebrate Easter? Okay, maybe you didn't know. In Matthew 27, 33 through 43, they placed Jesus on the cross at approximately 9 a.m., or the third hour. The first hour was 6 a.m. when the day began. The location of Golgotha is another witness that all things typify Christ. In Leviticus 1.11, Israel was instructed to slay the sacrificial lambs on the north side of the temple altar. Since the lambs represented Jesus, the typology is consistent that Jesus was the Lamb of God would be slain north of the temple altar. It was on the same mount that Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac. The sacrifice of Isaac was also a symbol of the father sacrificing his son. Matthew, Mark, and Luke seem to put the crucifixion of Jesus on Friday and rising on Sunday. John's account puts the crucifixion on Thursday, with Friday being a high Sabbath and Saturday being the Sabbath with a resurrection on Sunday. But regardless of which day it is, the important thing is that he atoned for our sins, he overcame death, he was resurrected, and he showed us the way back to our Heavenly Father. And as always, he invites Come follow me.